0: Today's reading is Mark chapter 5, 21 to 24, and then 35 to 43. It can be found on page 927 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's Word, Mark five twenty-one to 24. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Mark 535 to 43. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord.
1: Let us pray. Our God, we uh, come into this space and living our lives, um, sometimes with thoughts about you, sometimes feeling very far from you. And so, as we um, look to your scriptures now, there is a hope that maybe is voiced, or maybe is buried down deep, but a hope nonetheless that's there somewhere. That you would meet us in a gracious way. That you would there would be words that would. That would nourish our souls that you could nourish our souls in some way that a lot of the stuff that we've been chasing after and living with and centering our lives around just don't nourish us so whether we come with great doubt or great faith joy or sorrow we come all on the same journey we're a broken mess more than we want people to know and your love your story moves towards us with forgiving grace through the cross You have moved towards us through Jesus to bring us in, to love broken people into their healing and into the seat at the table of your great feast. Help us to know that now. Speak to us through that grace in such a way that our lives would change. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever... Falling asleep when you wish you hadn 't Some of you do it every Sunday, right? <laughs> just kidding. I was at a church that had a lot more older people at one point, and uh, there was there was the you know the, the regular offenders of the the snooze club, but that doesn 't happen here very often. but one time when I was in high school at a camp in the Santa Cruz Mountains, it was a, a little cabin with six of us were in high school. And um, I woke up to laughter. And I didn't know what was going on. So I will tell you what was going on. Because eventually I found out that um, the other guys had decided that the first one to fall asleep was going to be the victim of this prank, Um, the warm water prank. I don't know if you've heard of this one. No clue if it works, but the idea is that you, you put someone's hand in warm water while they're asleep and something embarrassing happens. They lose a certain kind of control. Um, that was the, what they were going to do to me. When they pulled back the sleeping bag, what they found was both of my hands jammed down in a place where they couldn't access them. <laughs> and, um, and they laughed just like you laughed. They laughed so hard that I woke up to laughter going, what? what's going on? What happened? What happened? And at, at the same moment, I mean, I'm really glad this, th- they protected me in the sense that that story didn't leak out until today, literally. <laughs> and now it's going to be on the internet, you know, and the podcast. But at, at the same moment, I had great embarrassment because they were laughing at me. I also had this, this sort of superhuman sense of pride and accomplishment that in my sleep, I had foiled their prank. And hey, I'd much rather wake up to laughter than a a wet sleeping bag. So have you ever fallen asleep when you wish you hadn't? (laughs) Um, You know, where we're going with this 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 morning makes me also think of another story of not so much sleep, but kind of having your eyes closed, being drowsy to reality. I think of the dwarves in one of the last books of the the Narnia series, Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Fascinating scene where the main characters walk up to this stable and they end up going through this door of what looks just like a dumpy old shed. But when they get inside, it opens up into this other world, much like kind of the wardrobe that begins it all. But now they walk through into this dumpy looking shed and it's not a horse stable, it's a a new world. In fact, it's like the new world. It's like the perfect reality that our, our hearts long for and dream about. It's so wonderful that one of them says, you know, look at this amazing fruit. It looks unreal how perfect it is. I bet we're not supposed to, I bet we're not allowed to pick it. And Peter, one of the main characters, says, um, get the quote right, he says, I think now that we've we've arrived at the country where everything is allowed. But then there's this group of dwarves, and these dwarves are interesting characters because they've walked through the door of the stable as well, except they walk through and all they see is the darkness, and the smells of a small, confined stable. And they're acting as if that's where they are. And they're closing their eyes, and they're grouping together, and they're crabby and grouchy about everything, and they're just going on and on with this reality that they're they're in a stable, and it's stinky, and it's dirty, and there's people out to get them. And the other characters are saying, "Just, just open your eyes, just look around, smell this flower. But they won't. And one of them says... How do you see anything in this pitched black, pokey little hole of a stable? And this morning, I want us to think about if there's a sense in which we all find ourselves in some ways in life acting like those dwarves in that last book, the Narnia series. Are your eyes closed to what God sees or to what God can do? Are you in some way in life right now in need of of waking Maybe, it's, maybe it feels voluntary, like a choice, like a choice to be anesthetized by certain comforts or routines in life or orienting your life around safe plans that are dependable. A choice to be kind of drowsy. Or maybe it doesn't feel like a choice at all. Maybe it feels a lot more like defeat, like life has robbed you of some kind of hope. But really ask yourself if this... This, all, this whole issue might apply to you. Ask yourself, where in my life have I lost hope? Or in what area of my life am I laughing at the optimists around me? Are there areas in my life where I've latched on to the only soothing that I believe works anymore? Whether it's entertainment or alcohol or sex or um, being busy if you really want to get under the surface of this question or this issue ask this question are there things that I just don't bring to God anymore are there certain things in life that I just don't bring to God in prayer maybe I used to maybe there was a time but not anymore where in your life are you with your actions living out what we see actually in this passage in verse thirty-five when these people come and they say, why bother? Why bother? Why bother the teacher anymore? Or like these other, uh, uh, in verse 40, we have these professional mourners and wailers who have come to begin the process and to open up the, the, um, the mood, to set the pace of the mood. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to wail. This is the custom. They would have professional people come in. And when Jesus offers hope, they laugh at him. Is there some sense in which you're doing that? In in your life. Like these people who knew, they, they, they go to these things on a daily basis, these situations, and they know that these situations always end the same way, with the child's body in the ground covered in dirt. And when Jesus says, she's just asleep, that's laughable. Jesus was surrounded by a, the same spiritual condition that I think we need to do some, some battle against in our life. It often feels like cynicism, or maybe it feels like like realism, as if it's absolutely practical and safe to believe that tomorrow will just be a repeat of yesterday. Maybe it feels like, like the sort of realism, the outlook that says there are a hundred reasons why it's laughable to believe that change is possible. It's a spiritually stationary kind of position where it's almost like this spiritual condition is like a five-ton boulder just sitting there, immovable. Why bother trying? Um, And in the Gospel of Mark, what we see here in this story is that um, the Gospel writer Mark is intent upon portraying what Jesus does with this spiritual condition, what he does over and over in communities of Christians since the time of this story. It's like he moves straight into the heart of this condition, the heart of this immovable barrier. It's like he drills and bores a hole right into the center of the five-ton rock to blast it open into movable chunks that can fly everywhere, not to create damage but to go forth with a message that says, Jesus has arrived. Jesus is here. There's a way in which that is just simply something that happens in Christian communities. That's a a work of Jesus still going on today and that that is still available to the sort of drowsiness that you maybe bring in here this morning. I came in physically drowsy (laughs) this morning. But there's also another layer of drowsiness that we bring that Jesus wants to deal with. And it happens when you invite Jesus to have more influence, to have influence in your life. And much the way that Jairus comes and gets... Jesus and invites him to come with him on a journey, invites him into the middle of his world, into his home, inviting Jesus to have influence. And I can hear some of you would right away uh, bristle at that, uh, at that language even because there's that word influence, Jesus and influence and those are, those are authority words, that's authority language and you might say, you know what, I don't mix religion and authority, I don't put together church and authority, that hasn't gone well for me and my story. And I'll admit that that really hasn't gone very well. That's, that's, that's one of the sins, I would say, the prominent sins of church and church life is bad mixture of, of faith and authority. But I'm going to say something else with confidence. that, And it's this, that if you want to get to know Jesus, you, you want to know him as and have the fullest possible understanding of who Jesus is in your life, open yourself up to his authority. In fact, the, the more extensive and complete you open up your life to the authority of Jesus, the better in terms of knowing him, in terms of understanding what is Jesus all about. And, you know, when you say something like that, you're going to lose some people, right? You're going to get some people saying, okay, you know, this is where I kind of step backwards a little bit, and um, this isn't for me. But just hang in there, and don't take just my words for it. Hear Jesus' own words. In a sense, hear the words that Jesus uses to call us all to wake up. The words, it's kind of funny. The words are uh, Aramaic words in the passage. doesn't happen very often where they're... We, we get to see the actual original language of Jesus. It usually comes through in the Greek and so we just translate all the Greek stuff into, into English. And uh, in this particular case we keep the Aramaic. We don't translate it into, um, into English because the original people left it that way. And he says, Talitha koum, which is a, f- a very tender uh, parental kind of familial way of talking like you'd talk to your sweet daughter in the morning to wake her up little girl it's wake up time it's tender it's tender and it's close and it's gentle in the morning um, I sing that a song in the morning to my three-year-old the same song that I've sung to my, her older brothers um, so sometimes I'll sing this song and uh, unfortunately uh, um, it happens she's already woken me up and it's way too early and then i sing her like the wake up song it's a little bit backwards i feel like there's an injustice an injustice there but it goes it's got this great line our day is beginning there's so much to do good morning good morning good morning to you I want you to think about your life and think if there's a sort of brittleness or a brokenness, some area in your life where there's a a mess, and in that area of your life, the only thing that you'll really let in to that area of your life is a safe, gentle tenderness. The only way that you'll stop barricading and holding it off and hiding it out of view from all of us is if one comes along that is gentle enough and tender enough in a sort of loving parental way that finally it might be able to get dealt with. There might be some healing that's possible, but for the most part, it's you hide it. You leave it away. Well, I don't want you to miss this. This is kind of the point. Um... Jesus definitely comes into your life and comes into today to say, come on to the new life. Off with the old, into the new. And there's a sort of authority to that, right? But he's not shouting it into a bullhorn from a saddle. It's like he's singing softly a wake-up song to a little daughter. morning little girl it's wake-up time and this is how jesus operates this is how jesus comes to us he he leads with tenderness he leads in with tenderness and i can tell you that in my experience of just meeting with people and talking about spiritual things that boy if there's anything that we have trouble accepting that we've gotten wrong it's that we, we definitely have have erred towards thinking that god must lead into our lives with authority, with authoritative words, with with anger, with accusations, with his rule book, with you know precision precision judgments that are void of compassion. That seems to be the standard fare of where we land. So look carefully at what Jesus does as he wakes up this girl. He he sends out all the distant FOLKS WHO DON'T REALLY, AREN'T REALLY A PART OF THAT TENDER FAMILY UNIT AND HE BRINGS ALONG ONLY A COUPLE OF, A FEW OF HIS PROTEGES AND IT'S THIS INTIMATE GROUP. HE REACHES OUT, HE he HOLDS HER HAND. IN THIS TENDER MOMENT HE he OFFERS THESE WORDS THAT PERHAPS PUZZLED THOSE IN THE ROOM BECAUSE THEY'RE LIKE WORDS OF A DADDY TO A LITTLE GIRL. AND THEN WHEN SHE WAKES UP AND STARTS WALKING AROUND, WHAT'S HIS CONCERN? HEY, SHE'S HUNGRY, SOMEONE GET HER SOMETHING TO EAT. There's this tender compassion and concern. And that is how we need to see God. That's what, what we're learning here is something that is true about God. If you, you look at Isaiah chapter 40 verse 11, we read this about God. It says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And who is it that does this? The verse right before says it's the sovereign lord. This is exactly what happens when you invite Jesus into your life, when you begin to get to know who Jesus is, that you are you are learning about the sovereign lord as one who carries you close to his heart. Do you know God that way? You know, he's definitely authoritative, or he's definitely got authority. And this story, the authority is all written all over it. that's why we're telling this story, because he authoritatively speaks amidst death and life and, and life wins. Jesus, I mean, what greater authority is there? This is a story of authority, but his authority is accompanied and mingled and, and approached and brought to us through great tenderness. I just want to mention a couple of implications to this just briefly um, the first is that, it, that knowing Jesus this way knowing God this way affects how we approach others if you're a Christian uh, you may have had a tendency in your relationship with people who are not Christians had a tendency to lead in with an authoritative perspective with rules or with anger or with precision judgment And in many ways, what you may need to do is you may need to go back and revisit the tenderness of Jesus to yourself, to your own heart, to your own brokenness. Because we forget to approach others with the same tender availability that God first came to us with. We forget the power of the tenderness that God earns authority in our life. Uh, Rebecca O'Connor is a doctor who discovered the power of this kind of quiet authority when she responded to the, the disaster of the Asian tsunami in 2004. She says, When I first saw the horrific images of the Asian tsunami disaster, I was working the night shift at New York Presbyterian Hospital where I'm a pediatric nurse. I felt compelled to do something. And O'Connor did do something. She flew to Sri Lanka along with eight other medical professionals for a two-week medical relief trip. Arriving in Sri Lanka, they traveled through 150 miles of destruction before arriving in a downtown area that had been completely devastated. Setting up their clinic in a downtown Sri Lankan mosque, they saw 40 to 100 patients every shift. Respiratory problems and foot and leg wounds caused by stepping on debris when wading through water were the most common ailments treated. O'Connor and the others soon discovered that they were less than a mile away from a local hospital in another large clinic. She questioned a Sri Lankan friend, why are people coming to us? The friend said, because at the hospital someone asks name, age, complaint, and then gives them a sheet of paper and tells them to go wait somewhere. You sit them down, ask them what's wrong, and treat them. You listen to them. O'Connor summed it up. It seems that the most valuable therapy we are providing and had nothing to do with antibiotics or wound care. By listening to, the sto- to story after heartbreaking story, admiring pictures of families once happy and healthy, playing soccer with children who lost everything, we were able to say, we care about you and we share in your grief without speaking a word. power in the tenderness compassion and that le- that affects how we consider ourselves relating to others and moving out with that tenderness but also uh, affects how we apply the authority of Jesus to our lives if you've ever began to apply God's authority to areas of your life never lose the voice of Jesus as you do that never lose the tenderness of, uh, of like I think of it like that song our day is beginning There's so much to do. That's what it's like to apply the authority of God to your life. As you you start realizing, as you explore Christianity or you become a Christian or you start moving it deeper into your life and you say, wow, this is... Following God has implications in all kinds of things in my life. It has implications in terms of my sexual choices, in terms of my financial lifestyle and what I do with my money. It, has, it affects my, how I deal with conflicts and the forgiveness that's sort of pressing in on me to apply to these conflicts. It affects how I deal with my anger. It affects you know, who I date, what I do at this particular fork in the road, all of these things as you start to do this don't forget how tenderly God deals with us and our brokenness in all of these areas. Um, you know, the, I talked about it being in the original Aramaic, talitha kum. There was like some kind of tenderness to those words that the, the original Christians didn't want to lose, and so they kept this in the story as they passed it on. Another place that happens is with that simple word you might have heard, Abba, which is that Aramaic word, Daddy these intimate words, this intimate tenderness that the early Christians did not want to lose as they began applying what it means to follow Christ to all these different areas of their lives. Don't you lose it either. Hang on to it. Hang on close to it. Because, you know, we assume that, oh, apply God's authority, do this, do that. It's all about an exercise in in falling in line with the rules. No, it's not. It's about responding to the new life that has just been handed back to you. That's a great summary, in fact, of the, of the Christian journey. How do I now respond that new life has been handed back to me from the dead? And that's our journey. That's what we get to discover. There's a couple in Argentina last year who got to literally discover what that's like. Um, Analia Botet and her husband had been told uh, last year, just about this time, in April, um, the premature baby that they had was stillborn. April 3, 2012. But when they went down to the refrigerated morgue 12 hours later, I don't know if you heard this story, they found the little girl trembling in the coffin. The baby was born three months before the due date weighing only 1.7 pounds. And so... You know, Luz Milagros, which means um, miracle light, left the hospital in her mother's arms five months later in September and arrived home for the first time in the nearby town of Fontana. In April, Mrs. Botet had described the moment she found her daughter was still alive. I moved the coverings aside and I touched her hand and then uncovered her face. That's where I heard a tiny little cry. I fell to my knees. My husband didn't know what to do. We were just crying, and I laughed and cried, cries and laughter. How do you respond when life is given back to you from the dead? Some simple words that came to me this week. I put them down on paper. I sent them out to our our worship collective To see if someone maybe had a tune that was brewing to go with it I guess I'm not the tune guy but these words came out and I threw them down on paper I'm going to close with them Wake up little girl from your death sleep These shocking words today we hear The words that drive out every fear Wake up little girl from death's defeat Now get her quickly food to eat The little girl is on her feet Wake up, all little girls and boys, the risen Lord of lords has called, to souls deep sleeping since the fall. Wake up, all little girls and boys, come out in your best dancing clothes, joy-filled songs replace your woes. Still death and sin are lingering, our hope in you, air-challenging. Alas, grace now infuses tears, and Christ has plundered all our fears." Wake up, all little girls and boys. Come out in your best dancing clothes. Joy-filled songs replace your woes. Let us pray. Our God, would you help us? Would you help us realize and just open our eyes? Take us out of our drowsiness. Help us to see new life has been given. That on the third day when the tomb was empty, the world changed. And we are given back the possibility of life, eternal life with you, the good life, reconciled into your presence through Jesus. Wake us up to that and use whatever possible through this church, through our lives, through events in our lives to help us to apply more and more that resurrection hope and that resurrection reality to how we live out the rest of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.